Hello everyone and thank you for joining me this afternoon on today's edition of the Language Matters podcast. And I'm delighted to be hosting Annette this afternoon. So I met Annette while we were both students at Queen Mary and she graduated before me, but she has generously uh, accepted to spend her time with me this afternoon. So Annette, thank you so much and welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I think it's my first podcast, actually. Appearance, yeah. not listening. <laughs> We're going to have fun, I promised you that. So yep. this afternoon, uh, I would want you to introduce yourself to our guests, people listening to us, tell them who you are, what you've been doing, your research interests, and what you're doing currently. Uh, yeah, so I'm Annette. Uh, my Chinese name is Hui Zhao, um, whichever you prefer. Uh, I'm currently doing a bit of everything. So I'm currently affiliated with the University of Nottingham in the UK um, as an honorary research fellow, uh, where I previously worked as a postdoctoral research associate on a project on language and multilingualism. Um, and I'm also at the same time a visiting lecturer at the Newman University in the UK in Birmingham, um, teaching uh, social linguistics essentially. Uh, so I'm doing a bit of everything these days. Um, my research interest, um, as Mami just said, um, we both did our PhDs at Queen Mary. So my research uh, interest is very much in the sort of classic uh, variationist social linguistics. Uh, so I'm interested in specifically how uh, people's identity, uh, whether that's accent or language use in any other ways, uh, how that interacts with um, their language use and different social factors. So the things I'm interested in the most is uh, social class and gender. So my research is largely based on Chinese, Mandarin Chinese specifically. Um, and in my past project at uh, Nottingham, uh, I should probably give a shout out to my project. Uh, I worked on a project called MATES. So multilingualism, uh, empowering individual transforming societies. That's the full name of the project. Uh, it was a humongous project with for uh, British University. So in that project, I worked on essentially how language uh, inequality or linguistic inequality, that how that can affect uh, people in different ways, especially in terms of multilingualism. So I think today, if we can talk about multilingualism a bit um, and tie that to sort of um, equality, diversity, inclusion, that'd be good. Yes, thank you so much, Annette. So, I mean, language inequalities, what is that? No, um, so, uh, linguistic uh, inequality or language inequality, um, it's its basically what it says on the tin, right? So if you have gender inequality, that means people get discriminated against based on their gender identity. So linguistic inequality is essentially people get discriminated against based on their linguistic uh, identity or the language use. So um, easier and um, quite general example would be uh, in the UK, for example, uh, because you have a certain accent, people look down on you. So um, popular example might be, um, I was just talking about this with my student earlier today, 
you have a Geordie accent even from uh, around Newcastle in the UK, uh, people normally associate your accent with something quite negative. Uh, in uh, I won't repeat what we said in the cast, but essentially it's a very negative um, attitude towards that particular accent. So what that translates into real life is essentially, um, whereas we can't discriminate people based on their gender, you can't not give a woman a job because she's a woman, but you can not give someone a job because they have a Geordie accent because you can sort of find your way to say, oh, people don't understand you, right? So I'm not gonna give you this job. But not every job would re rely on people having a standard in quotation marks, British English accent. So that's a way that linguistic inequality can come out in real life and in, certainly in employment and workplace. Thank you. So we are very much interested in the real life. You know, mm -hmm. that's, why, that's why I have you on. And I mean, though this is revealing, it's also quite worrying that people will be discriminated against based on their accent, for example, or how they speak. So mm -hmm. my next question is, so we are talking about diversity and inclusion. And unfortunately, this is not really the focus, language use is not the focus when organizations are thinking about diversity, inclusion, and equity. So if we have someone listening to us who is in that space, the diversity and equity space, what would you say, or what one thing would you tell them why it is important that they, should, they need to center language and make it a very, uh, an important part of their initiatives and efforts? Um, I think the one thing I would say is that language is absolutely central to everything we do, um, right? So if we're going to work, if we're working from home, if we're emailing someone, the way we use to communicate our ideas is language, right? So if I send an email using uh, quotation mark non-standard grammar, uh, my client or my colleagues might judge me because I'm using this uh, variety or this style that they deem inappropriate for the setting, right? So that's when you get discriminated against. Um, but it's also important to bring language to the center of the equality and the diversity and inclusion, because um, in the UK, for example, we have Equality Act, uh, where it's basically put in law that a certain certain things a company or whatever can't do because of certain identities but language isn't in there right so we have gender we have race we have sexuality you can't discriminate people against people on those criteria but language isn't in there but the way a lot of the ways that we communicate our identity is actually through language so how do you determine someone's identity without going through the channel that they use to communicate uh, so that's why I think um, if you're a company or if you're an organization or even if we, you're in uh, education and learning, there's the very important question you have to ask when you're implementing um, equality and diversity policies is whether you've put, you've thought about language and you've um, thought this through and to make sure that people actually don't get discriminated based on their language use. Thank you so much, Helen. And I like the, the fact that, and I have not even thought about it uh, previously. You mentioned emails. So things have changed quickly. So instead of usual verbal communication on the job, we attend to 
tend to be relying mostly on emails and um, kind of this kind of communication. Things have shift, shifted. So like you rightly yeah. said, somebody who has a problem with or who's not very good at using standard English might get discriminated against. And in terms of promotion or even hiring, for example, they might say, oh, this person is not good for the job. But that relying on that alone is problematic. You know, mm-hmm. so coming to email interaction, for example, how can organizations support their staff? So what can they do to ensure that these imbalances that exist, I mean, we can't run away from the fact that not everyone speaks standard English. So these mm-hmm. imbalances exist. So what, how can they support their staff who they identify as having these uh, uh, in, uh, inefficiencies? How can they support them and how can the organization on the whole be more accommodating to such uh, such uh, things, if they if they, they 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 encounter them, yeah. So I think um, a lot of uh, because I've worked in well, both of you and I, we've worked in higher education, so we know there are certain departments or resources that we can go to when we need language help, right? So a lot of um, the cases in foreign language learners in higher education, for example, you have international students, if they need help for example, writing a job application or writing an essay even, they could go to the writing center or the student help uh, services where you get people who are trained to um, help you with the style you present your writing, right? So if you're obviously the way you write a job application is going to be different from the way you write uh, a blog article, for example. So those are the people that can help you in higher education. I think that's perhaps not a feasible way for every single company to to have that department or have that uh, branch that they can uh, enforce this. But I think some um, tolerance and inclusion of these rules might be useful. So um, one example I can think of is perhaps in higher education uh, with people who are dyslexic. So people have a learning disability, we have, we have, professional staff there to help them so why can't we have the same level of support for people who through no fault of their own didn't speak um, growing up didn't speak a particular standard again quotation mark um, variety of English so why can't we have those kind of people they don't have to be a specific uh, professional you hire from outside even it could just be someone who has the background in perhaps different styles of writing or uh, different styles of speaking um, in the organization. Um, I think that would be a good start. Um, obviously, essentially what we want with, with regard to EDI is that linguistic equality is reflected in law and in regulation. But before that happens, I think any sort of way to support people who might need that support um, is a good start. Thank you. So two, two main things here. I mean, we recognize that uh, we need that legal framework to be able Mm -hmm. to make this more enforceable, like we have for race and sex and gender and all those other things. But before that, organizations can take little steps such as being more supportive and inclusive of people who have such uh, difficulties. And like you rightly said, I can relate as, a, as, an, as an international student, I had a lot of support from Queen Mary in helping me shape my language use and how I even um, reference things. And those little things that 
there are differences in based on where it is that you're coming from, but we don't tend to pay attention to. So I think my, my next question, and I, that again comes to a point that you made earlier on about language uh, inequality, you know? So uh, I think, I mean, you've done a lot of research with working in schools, mm-hmm. thinking that, I mean, so beyond the workplace, which other place can we start uh, making adjustments or how do we even socialize people to accept the fact that, look, we all don't speak the same way. We don't have, yeah. we, we don't have the same accent and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So how, how can we ensure that outside the workplace, this is more reflected in society generally? Yeah, um, I think um, this brings me to something I actually want to talk about. So uh, with me, with my um, line manager, principal investigator, um, we've recently been editing a set of policy papers, uh, which came out of a conference we did in 2019, I think. But it was really a way to engage academics who perhaps don't normally interact with practitioners, so school staff or uh, judges and lawyers who are actually in the field of doing language related work, right? So this set of uh, papers that I think, Mami, if you want, put it online, people can have a look, that's fine as well. Um, It's all public and you can access it for free. So one of the things we talked about in those papers is that how do we introduce diversity in language learning and in classroom in general so it perhaps wouldn't be surprising for you to say that a generic person who's in higher education or university student even so they're highly educated in the UK um, they probably wouldn't have any understanding of how diverse even the UK dialects or accents are, right? So we need that exposure. We need that representation, not just on TV, uh, but also in their real life and in their curriculums to, to, for them to sort of starting from when they were little to get used to there is more existing in this world accent and language wise other than the particular English variety that you use. Um, so one way to do that, I think one of the papers uh, in this collection of papers mentioned that um, just by bringing in, um, for example, staff members uh, in the school, for example, who have different accents, who are actually uh, using the word foreigners, who are not uh, first language speakers of English, for example, just to bring that uh, exposure to the to these children and then hopefully by the time they grow up they they'll realize that diversity actually exists uh, in the broader uh, society around them so i think that's a way that we can start um the only other thing i think mommy as a linguist you probably agree is that we need more linguistics in school curricula as well so it's not it's not enough to just have someone with a Birmingham accent and a Scots accent next to you. Um, Children need to be taught that grammar matters, of of course, because you have to have that formal style when you write, but also language isn't just the standard. So there's rules behind perhaps some really stigmatized uh, varieties as well. So I was teaching students in Birmingham, so let's say uh, Birmingham accent 
a lot of people would look down upon people with a Birmingham accent, um, thinking, oh, they just talk like they're stupid or whatever. Um, but obviously, as a linguist, we know that um, West Midlands uh, English dialect has their own grammar, has their own phonology, has their own rules behind the language. And it's important for people to just in general be aware that the diversity that you're not seeing exists because they're just as valid. Uh, they're not an inferior variety of the language that you speak. So I think um, get, get, get the children while they're young, essentially. Thank you, thank you. Can you share details about uh, the website where people can um uh yes um so the as i said the project is called mates so m-e-i-t-s uh so the website you can go to is mates.org uh slash or forward slash policy dash papers or if you just google mates uh policy papers you'll find um all of these papers online um some of them for this collection that we've edited uh, in particular, sorry, um, they dealt with uh, language use in or inequality in legal settings, so in lawyers and courtrooms, uh, but also in teaching, especially. So those are the two big uh, chunks of topics that we were trying to address in that collection. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I can give you a link and then you can just send it, yeah, um, yes. put it, it on the podcast. I'll put it on the podcast feed so that yeah. you can, can get it. Well, so yeah. I before I finally let you go, I'm getting from what you take that linguists can be of help, you know, mm -hmm. and there's so much we we can offer in terms of yeah. supporting diversity, inclusion, and equity. So if you can just shed light on two or three of the tools that we mm -hmm. as linguists can use to help organizations and support in this endeavor, that would be great. You know, and if you can tell us um, the sort of things that you'd be interested in working on as well so that if people want to contact you they know they can get to you because of a b or c um yeah so i've worked uh, i've been on the um what we call edi committee so uh, equality diversity and inclusion committees in my school so we dealt with um things like um you know student attainment gaps so how to make certain groups of students learn better so uh, apply that to a workplace situation. Um, I can advise on, for example, how to better use your workforce, right? So if certain group groups of people are not performing well, perhaps in a client facing role because their language or their linguistic ability isn't up to the standard, that's something a linguist, any linguist can perhaps advise you on. Um, the other thing is just in general, training people, especially HR, um, as I think when you talk to Deviani, uh, the whole thing about accent bias. So people in those positions, they need to have the, the awareness that um, the decision they make really need to be informed by some sort of theoretical understanding of language. So that's what something um, social linguists and me personally will be able to advise on as well. Um, of course, that's, that depends on what the company structure is, uh, what kind of people you work with. Do you work with um, a lot of written data or do you write to your clients a lot or do you prefer to face-to-face -face interaction? Uh, so those are kind of areas I think um, a linguist would be able to help. 
Thank you very much. Um, final thoughts. I would want to uh, final thoughts. Anything that you want anyone listening to us to take away, one or two takeaways, you know, from this conversation, if they don't remember anything at all, what, what um, want to leave with them? <laughs> Uh, if you don't remember what these two social linguists are on about for the past half an hour, um, just I think one thing to remember is that um, there is diversity existing in this world, um, regardless of what your experience is. And um, I think some sort of reflection on the individual's part uh, about the diversity and inclusion that they've experienced they've experienced in life would be beneficial for them whether it's just for a generic generic person or for someone in position power for example HR person um, so an example of that would be uh, if you think you are quite sort of mainstream if you're like a white uh, cisgender middle class man in the UK um, I'm sure reflecting on your school experience and your accent and your language use, perhaps the certain ways you would type and you would use uh, emails and you would write, you can still figure out some sort of diversity that exists in you that's perhaps not universal. And if you apply that to your surrounding, you would find it much easier to understand why other people exist outside of your comfort zone, if that makes sense. So I think. Um, just in general, a sort of mutual understanding of the diversity that we live in uh, is going to be quite beneficial for everyone, really. Thank you so much, Annette, for uh, having this wonderful conversation. And you can follow Annette. She's on Twitter. She's on LinkedIn. You know, yep. send a, a message, uh, leave a comment. If we said something that you didn't understand, if you want further clarification, We'll be more than happy to to respond to your feedback so thank you again to everyone who's listening to us and Annette, yep. have a lovely evening yes thank you bye